Taylor Decker's on my All-22 fantasy team. Stop. They don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right, your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is going to, it's going to change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I moved to the old town where it goes down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. I hold it down. Made myself proud. Say, look at me. Welcome into another episode of the All 22 Podcast. I'm Chris Lombardi, and I'm joined again by Ray Cotto. Uh, Ray, we've been ready for signups. People can go in and sign up for All 22 right now using promo code Second Season. That's 2ND Season, which will get you $20 off the first year of your membership with All 22. Uh, we've we've been absolutely loving the responses so far. A lot of people are getting in there and signing up. It's been amazing. Thank you, everybody that has done that already. If you haven't yet and you're listening to this podcast, I don't know what you're doing. So get in there and sign up. And thanks for tuning in today. So we got a, cool, a couple of cool things we want to talk about. I think the first of which, Ray, I want you to kind of walk me through the article that uh, PFF released, right? They were talking about which receivers get open the most and who, which corners are essentially the stingiest, which, which means what. So I want you to talk us through that and let's have a little discussion about it. Yeah, so it's 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 really simple in, in the respect that PFF just wanted to take a look at which receivers simply get open. Just just that simple. Strip away, you know, targets, accurate targets, uh, you know, pass protection and, and and double teams. Just strip away every other external factor and just take a look at which wide receivers get open the most and which corners allow essentially the least amount of separation, which corners don't allow separation on most of their reps, regardless of everything else. It's just who's the best at getting open, who's the best at preventing the opposing receiver from getting open. And so they strip away basically everything else and take a look at who's the best at each of those uh, at both the wide receiver and the cornerback position to essentially state that, hey, when all else is equal, here are the top guys or guys who are close to the top, you know, who, who exhibit this quality, which I think most would agree is the most important factor at each position, right? As a wide receiver, you need to get open as a corner. You need to not allow the opposing wide receiver to get open first and foremost, but beyond or before anything else. And so that's what this article took a look at. And there was some pretty interesting results there. If, 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 uh, if you take a look and not sure what, uh, you want to start with as far as what stands out to you, but I had something that, um, uh, I want to rant about, but maybe maybe not right off the jump. Sure. So I, a couple things were interesting to me. I think, you know, our game, all 22, has like a snap count minimum, right? So players can only score points in our game if they reach a minimum amount of snaps, which isn't a high mark. And most starting starting level players absolutely reach that number every week. When I look at the list, there are a few names that like, I'm not sure they're really starters, right? So like, for example, Paris Campbell is the second guy on this list. I don't have his numbers in front of me, but I can almost guarantee that he wasn't starting, getting starting level snaps every single game. Maybe he was, maybe I'm wrong, but like that name just kind of jumps out to me, uh, first of all. But I think, you know, a lot of the guys that are on this list are guys that we would expect, right? Tyler Lockett, Cooper Cup, uh, Jerry Judy, Devonta Smith, uh, who else? Tyreek Hill, right? Uh, Marquise Brown, Stephon Diggs, Brandon Cooks, right? Those are the guys that in my head, Christian Kirk, CeeDee Lamb, those are the names that I'm like, I expect those guys to get open. Those are some of the best route runners in the NFL. No surprise at all in my mind. I think I start getting a little surprised when I see guys like Zay Jones, 
and uh, who else here? I mean, Debo is interesting because Debo. Yeah. Debo's a big body, right? Like Debo's a big dude who plays more like a running back. So to see that he's running routes and getting open at a high level, as high as some of the best players in the NFL, it's pretty cool. Um, Richie James is an interesting one. He's third on this list, right? So Paris Campbell's two, Richie James is three, which I looked at and I was like, oh man, the the Giants like losing Richie James like to the Chiefs. Like, is Richie James going to be a breakout this year with Patrick Mahomes, right? Because he kind of broke out last year on the Giants. So is he going to have even a bigger breakout this year on the Chiefs? But seeing that they replaced him with Paris Campbell, who's number two on this list, is also kind of interesting. It's almost like they knew that, right? Like they knew losing Richie James, we got to get a similar kind of guy in here. Paris Johnson being that – or sorry, Paris Campbell being that guy makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and and Paris Campbell's always had the – he's always been a top-level athlete who just – looks like someone who should have had a better career thus far than he has actually had. And obviously it's a surprise to see him on this list because when you think of top receivers, you don't think of Paris Campbell. And just because he's on this list doesn't mean that, you know, everything else you know about wide receiver is just disregarded. And that means, yeah, he's definitely a top guy on at his position, but it's a, it's a strong data point that maybe if this guy has a role, if he could stay healthy uh, he could be a, a weapon. Now, weapon doesn't mean a top 15 receiver in the league, but he could be someone who has a lot of production, who can make a big play every now and again and be a valuable asset to an offense that needs playmakers outside of Saquon Barkley, right? So yep. it's interesting to see. I, I like Dable and I like what, what he's done in, in the past offensively. And I mean, we see the impact he made in just one year with the Giants. Even if you don't think they were necessarily one of the stronger teams in the league last year, they still made the playoffs, made a playoff run. He was able to use the pieces that they had to uh, get to the second round, the divisional round of the playoffs. They won a playoff game last year. So uh, you got to trust that vision and see if, you know, maybe someone like Paris Campbell is in line for a bigger role and a data point like this suggests that he might be sort of a deep sleeper target that I don't know if I want to say breakout, that might be too strong of a, of a word there, but someone you should keep your eye on. For sure. And, uh, I think injuries have kind of muddled his career to this point, right? He's, he hasn't played a lot. He's missed a lot of time. But when he's on the field, he's pretty successful. So if the Giants can keep him healthy, I like that. But I want to hear what your like hot take is. And if it has anything to do with Curtis Samuel, I'm going to reach through the screen and I'm going to Will Smith slap you. So please do not let it be about Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel's better than than everybody thinks he is. And this this list just affirms it. He's a top 15 wide receiver. Is that really what your rant is about? League. No, it's not. But, okay. but all right, then I'm, move, I, then I'm move just, past it. Then move past it. This list also just proves me right. So I, before I get into my rant, I do want to say also, I think it is notable that when you look at the open target rate for these wide receivers on this list, Tyler Lockett is number one, but his open target rate was 67.5%. Second was Paris Campbell with 62.4%. And then after that, you have 61%, 60, 59.9, 59, and, and so on and so forth. So there is a large gap between Tyler Lockett being the number one wide receiver on this list and then number two and everybody else thereafter. There's a bigger gap from one to two than there is from two to 10 or two to, to 12. Else just on going the list. The list. Yeah. So it's a huge, so it's a huge gap and just kind of goes to show you everybody says that Tyler Lockett's so underappreciated. All he does is play very well and all that. So I'm not breaking any news here, but this is just another data point that goes to show that. So again, Tyler Lockett, Hat tip to you. 
you've earned it. Now, there's a player on this list who was top 10 as far as, you know, getting open among all wide receivers in the league. There are also a couple other articles related to wide receivers that PFF published recently as it relates to top 10 highest graded wide receivers against man coverage and top 10 highest graded wide receivers on accurate passes. Only one player on this entire list was top 10 on every single one of those lists. Top 10 at getting open, top 10 against man coverage, and top 10 graded on accurate targets. That player is Jerry Judy. Wait, wait, Judy. wait. Okay. Go ahead. All right, continue. Wait, wait, wait. It's Jerry Judy. So I, want, I wanted to guess. I wanted to guess. Oh, well, okay. Sorry, but I, I didn't want to hear your guesses, to be honest. It's Jerry Judy. All right, Jerry Judy deserves this platform. The only receiver on all three of these lists in the top 10. So everybody sort of rehashed the talking points with him already, right? The issue was that his quarterback play was just absolutely horrendous last year. And, you know, now Sean Payton is there. So it's a Sean Payton offense. So if he can get Russell Wilson working again, yada, yada, yada. We all know that, right? Jerry Judy's kind of been this popular breakout pick for for this season and, and probably going into last year too. I just think it's wild that when you look at it, he only had 56 targets in 2022 that were deemed accurate out of 100. That's horrendous, okay? Only 56 out of 100 targets to Jerry Judy last year were actually catchable. That's absurd and is just ridiculously bad accuracy luck, quarterback play luck. I don't know how else to define it other than him being top 10 on all of these lists shows you that he took care of what he had to take care of. He's doing his job at an extremely high level, and it's just a matter of getting the darn ball in his hands. He was the 23rd highest graded receiver in 2022, and that's with dealing with these issues of inaccuracy and poor quarterback play. And yes, we isolate that to a large extent because we care about the the individual player's performance outside of those factors. But when you don't have accurate targets, you don't have good quarterback play, you don't have the opportunity to capitalize on the separation that you're gaining and really make those monster, I call them super, super plus plays. He just never had the opportunity to do that that allowed him to take over games and basically take advantage of the separation that he was gaining. So I'm just saying, hopefully now with, with Sean Payton in tow, hopefully Russell Wilson kind of gets back on track. And if so, Yes, everyone's saying, oh, if that happens, Jerry Judy's a you know a, a breakout pick. I think he's a real breakout pick. I'm talking like top eight level type talent because all the metrics show it. Everything in his control is at an extremely high level, and it's just everything around him that has failed him to date. So if that gets on track, I'm not talking top 20 or top 15. I'm talking top eight or top six when it comes to Jerry Judy among all wide receivers in the league moving forward. Okay. Well, you know, I feel like you liked cursed receivers. You liked Allen Robinson. He was your boy. And you've been on this Jerry Judy train. And yes, everything you said is true. I think he struggled with drops a little bit early on in his career. And he also got injured a little bit just because he has that thin frame, but nothing serious, right? So a breakout could be right around the corner for him. But I think he's a cursed receiver. And I think you liking him is just doubling down on him being cursed. So yeah, people, you know, if you, if you want to, you know, hype uh jump on the hype train like ray go for it uh but i'm gonna stay away from judy until i uh i see it right second part of this article is about corners so let's jump there and it's about open target percentage 
And the top of this list actually shocked me, right? Michael Davis was the number one corner for with the lowest open target uh, rate at 26.2. Uh, that's that's insane. And the second guy, Alante Taylor, I think he kind of falls into that. If there was a snap count minimum, I'm not sure he would be on this list. Um, and then and then it gets into some of the guys that we we see a little bit more common: James Bradbury, Patrick Sertan, um, Cam Taylor, Britt, Jamal Dean, Tariq Woolen, DJ Reed, uh, and, and Sauce Gardner. I actually expected Sauce to be a little bit higher on this, but I think when you're one of those corners that tries to get their, your hand on the ball a lot, sometimes you actually give a little bit of space to to give yourself an opportunity to make a play because you, you want them to throw the ball your way, right? If you're trying to pick the ball off, they need to throw the ball to you. So, um, you know, maybe maybe that's why that that's there for Sauce Gardner. But is there anything to you, Ray, that stuck out about this list? There are a couple of players that stuck out to me that um, I, I think are really important. And if and if you you read this article and you're kind of taking notes, I think there's some sleepers to really take to take into account. I think first off, I, I feel vindicated by this list because I look at a lot of these players and I'm like, I, I really like this guy pre-draft and sometimes their careers haven't gone as, as well as you had hoped, right? I'm going to look at someone like uh, Carlton Davis. He's had a couple good years. He's been a little bit up and down, but I liked what I saw from him entering the league as just someone who just doesn't let a lot of guys open. And he's got the 11th lowest open rate allowed in the league. So, um, Again, there's way more to it than that, right? There's, there's of course, the run defense, the play, the, you know, the, the ball skills, play, making plays on the ball and so forth. So just like wide receiver, this list isn't the end-all, be-all. But you see the, the, the promising traits of, of these players. And so a couple of guys stand out to me from this list. The first being, oh, gosh, where is he? I just lost, I just lost my track. Okay, Martin Emerson of the Browns. Uh, I, I love this player, and I didn't even realize he was playing this well last year, but I loved him uh, pre-draft, and I think he's someone that if if he either elevates or just goes through sort of a, a normal progression for the Browns, that's a really good corner and someone that can really elevate the rest of that defense. We know about their their defensive front and the talent that they have on the defensive line and and Miles Garrett and some of the, the other playmakers they have in the secondary. But if Martin Emerson can be a hit, a, a, a guy who was a third-round rookie last year who graded in the 70s, which is very promising for uh, for a rookie corner with really good size and athleticism, I think that's a that's a huge steal and a diamond in the rough for, for the Browns where if, if they hit on that, that can really elevate their entire defensive unit. So someone like Martin Emerson stuck out to me. Another one is Cam Taylor Britt who came on late last year, but uh, finished really strong in the, in the playoffs with two big performances against the Bills and the Chiefs, which, I mean, the competition just doesn't get any tougher than that. So another AFC North team, right, uh, with a corner that if they progress as they have shown to date, that's a really, really valuable piece to add to those defenses. Uh, we know the Bengals have a high-flying offense, and they also have some good defensive line talent there, DJ Reader, uh, and so forth. And they have you know first-round picks like Daxon Hill in the secondary that they're relying on. But if they can hit on someone like Cam Taylor Britt, and if he can carry over that strong performance that he's shown here that got him on this list, and then also how he finished the season, I think those are two defensive units that can really benefit long-term from those guys. 
Awesome. So if you haven't uh, read that article yet, go over to pff.com and check it out. That's a great article uh, and will help you with your all 22 teams. So that's why we're pointing that out. We, we don't have a lot of time, Ray. So we're going to jump into these hidden gems of the AFC North. We each have like 30 seconds to talk about our pick. So <laughs> I'm going to start it off with the Bengals. And I think the Bengals are a team full of hidden gems, right? So it was really hard to pick the guy. And it's because they're one of the best constructed rosters in the NFL, right? So when you when you don't have a lot of needs, when you fill that, like your few needs with young players, there's a lot less pressure on them to be successful. And I think that's why I, I, I liked Daxton Hill last year. And I like him even more this year because there is this open position on that defense, which is one of the best run defenses in the NFL, where Jesse Bates is now gone. And he's there to fill fill that hole, right? They drafted him in the first round last year, but he only had one game where he played more than 20 snaps last year. And it was a very poorly graded uh, game that he played. His season grade was 56 and a few snaps that he had, but now it's his time, right? He's still only 21 years old. It's his time to step into that defense and really make a name for himself. Um, so my guy is Daxton Hill. I've been on his train since last year. I drafted him in our uh, inaugural league, which is our main league that we play together. Um, but there, there's a few other names, so I'm interested in who you have. So, see, you thought I was taking too long uh, talking about that article, but my Bengal sleeper was Cam Taylor Britt. So there you have it. Just just refer back to two and a half minutes ago where I was talking about Cam Taylor Britt. That's, that's my sleeper, and it's just interesting that they're both in the secondary, which kind of goes to the point, hey, we all know the Bengals have a great offense and a pretty good defensive front. If they also hit on these types of pieces in the secondary, that's a really complete team. Yeah, it really will be. And I'm surprised you didn't go Irv Smith. I like. I was going to take Irv Smith, but I thought it's you were going to take him. <laughs> too obvious. Okay, so let's go to the Ravens now. Uh, and again, I'm really excited about this Ravens team for a lot of the same reasons. It's a team with not a lot of holes. And defensively, they they get the best out of players, right? They are consistently pumping out these edge rushers year in and year out. And that's why there's two guys that I'm really excited about. Odafe Owe is one, but I think he's, you know, he's already a starter. He's been a starter for two years. So I'm not going to talk about him. I'm going to talk about David Ojabo, who's coming off of a really bad torn Achilles, which usually kind of like kills a career, right? Like that's an injury that is really hard to come back from and takes a lot of your athleticism away. But Ojabo is one of the most athletic edge rushers that like we've seen, right? If he was healthy out of college, probably would have been a top 15 pick. Uh, he ends up going in like the late second round to the Ravens, who again, get the most out of these edge rushers. So I'm, I'm excited about him. Uh, last year, he played in one game or he played in three games, but he, he had significant snaps in only one game. And in that game, it was against the Bengals. He had an 83.2 grade and recorded a sack. So he was very successful in that one game where he got legitimate snaps. So I'm excited to see what he can do when he's given more snaps, right? I don't think he's going to be a day one starter, but I think he's going to be a rotational player that gets in there, maybe gives Odafe away a break every once in a while, but he could just be a sack artist, right? He could be one of those rotational guys that ends up with 10 sacks at the end of the year and, uh, and, a, and an ADPFF grade. So he will do well in all 22 in my mind. Yeah, I, I thought about going with him. I actually ended up not picking someone for the Ravens. The reason being the closest one to it was Ojabo, and I just wasn't sure if he was considered hidden or if he was too well-known since he was a projected first-round pick before his injury. Because I think outside of that, the Ravens have a really good roster and a lot of talent, and I just feel like a lot of the high upside guys that maybe haven't produced at a top-20 level at their position yet in the league are still well-regarded and have a lot of draft capital invested in them so that the expectation kind of is that they will become that, which is 
essentially what makes the Ravens so good year in and year out. So I'm, I'm on board with that Ojabo take. The Achilles injury always scares me, and I'm always hesitant to to go full bore on those guys. So, uh, But it's very likely that his value is dropped in drafts as a result of that. And even still, there are probably still people that are skeptical about it uh, on a full-term basis. So you might be able to get them later in drafts than you might think. Cool. So we're on the same page on that one. Let's go to the Browns. And I feel like the Browns kind of missed their window. They're a team that the past few years, like three, four years, we've been saying, oh, this is one of the best rosters in the NFL, best rosters in the NFL. But it seems like the wheels are kind of starting to fall off and they're trying to patch it up. And I'd say they've done a pretty good job of that. Like they are still one of the best rosters in the NFL, but I think that window is really closing. So it's really now or never. Um, And they do have some holes, right? They filled one on the defensive line with Sayaki Aka, uh, the defensive interior pick, uh, I think he was a second or third rounder. I really liked him, but he's not my guy because defensive interiors typically take time to to really step up in the NFL. Uh, Sion Takitaki is another guy that doesn't really get enough respect, but I don't think he's really a breakout candidate considering he is a pretty consistent player. And at 28, I don't think there's really another level for him to reach. So the guy I'm going with is actually Jerome Ford, who you know I like, and I took him last year in one of our our drafts. He's a wrecking ball, right? He's 5'10", 210 pounds, and runs a 4'4", 6". He does everything well, in my opinion. He's extremely good between the gaps, but he's also very shifty. Um, And best of all, he has almost nowhere on his tires. He has 319 career carries in college. That's that's very little. When you look at a guy like Najee Harris, who probably had like four times that amount, it's it's not a lot, right? So that's really good for his NFL career. Um, And they let Kareem Hunt walk, right? And with with Chubb kind of entering his uh, age 27, age 28 season, he's probably kind of on the way out, right? I'm never going to root against Nick Chubb. He's been one of the most consistently healthy players in the NFL, but I think at some point, just like everybody else, it happens, right? You're going to, you're going to get to the end. And I think Chubb is not far away from that. So there's all this opportunity for Ford to right now be kind of a, just a, a, a share, a share player with Chubb, but eventually, maybe he, if he proves himself, can be that replacement for Chubb in the long term. Okay. So my guy kind of supports that, I guess, in a sense. I'm going with Jack Conklin, who just seems like a forgotten man. Um, we're talking about hidden gems here, right? And he had three straight years of high-quality play uh, before 2022, which was still okay with an overall 66 season grade, right? Which was mainly bogged down by his run-blocking performance, which was just poor last year, no other way to describe it, but he is still just 28 years old. And we know offensive tackles can play, uh, you know, well into their thirties as, as, you know, in their early thirties anyway, uh, Deshaun Watson and the whole operation should be better now that Deshaun is back and has games under his belt. and can actually participate in the off season fully and not have to worry about splitting reps with a quarterback. Who's going to start for you know the first half of the season during a suspension or things like that. They also added guys like Elijah Moore at wide receiver. So you're looking at probably a more balanced attack through the air, which plays into the hands of Jack Conklin as he was a top 20 pass blocker overall in 2022. And he signed a four-year, $60 million extension this offseason. So he's in the Browns' long-term plans, and they're committed to him. So in an All-22 draft, if you're wiped out, at offensive tackle in the draft, and maybe it's because you took care of edge rusher or or cornerback or defensive interior um, earlier on in, in the draft, you kind of loaded up on those positions to solidify your depth chart there, and maybe you need a second tackle in the, I don't know, 18th round or something, and it's getting kind of late. 
Conklin might not be a bad option and he could provide you with a solid floor at that position that you need in order to execute the strategy of maybe really solidifying your depth chart elsewhere. And then you can reap the benefits of that extra focus um, uh, you know, from those other positions while he still gives you a really solid tackle to sort of performance week in and week out for your all 22 team. I love that pick. And I would say, right, that's, I didn't mention that, but it is still one of the best offensive lines in football. The Browns have done an incredible job with that offensive line. So I like that pick. Mm -hmm. Let's move to the Steelers. And this is a team that has a lot of breakout potential guys, right? A lot of hidden gems. And I've been talking about Kenny Pickett all offseason. So I don't really want to talk about him, especially since I like chose Mac Jones as kind of like a cheat last episode. Um, So I'm not going to say him. Um, But the Steelers have done something very interesting, which is kind of like creeping back towards average on that offensive line, picking guys that don't have a lot of like name gravitas, but they are, you know, solid players and have been solid players for the Steelers. Um, And one of those guys that I I think is my guy is Dan Moore Jr. uh, Who's been playing left tackle for them for two years, who's been a two year starter uh, in his two years as a pro. And has shown in it like steady improvement over those two years. Um, he has over 1,200 snaps already. Like he's he's a legitimate guy, right? Like he's a legitimate starter at just 25 years old. Uh, his rookie year, he did struggle, right? Rookie fourth round pick out of Texas A&M uh, ends up being a day one starter, right? And he had a 57.5 PFF grade, which is below average, but something I would expect from a fourth round rookie tackle, right? Uh, but comes back last year and shows improvement, right? comes back uh, up towards average, right, at a 62.4 PFF grade for the season. But if you look at the back end of that year, there's a lot of green, right? And if you know PFF grading, right, each each uh, kind of grade gets like a color code. And when you start seeing green and blue, that's when you start to see a lot of better play, right? And I see a lot of green towards the end of last season for Dan Moore Jr. What that tells me is he's getting better, right? And he's 25 years old. Uh, he wasn't this top prospect. It's one of the best coach teams in the NFL. So I I think that there's a chance that he continues to improve. And I could see him maybe reaching 70 PFF grade this year, right? And then the year after, can he get a little bit better? Can he get towards that 75, 77 PFF grade, which is a starter for your all 22 team? Like that's a guy you want to be a starter. And right now you could have him probably for very cheap and put him on your bench and wait for that to happen. So I really like Dan Moore Jr. I'm going to have to look into Dan Moore Jr. That's an interesting one and not one I had on the radar. So to close the podcast, did you know? Which wait, which may be a terrible take since they drafted a left tackle. <laughs> like maybe Dan Moore Jr. plays right, maybe he plays guard. I don't know, but I think he gets better. And that's basically my point. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So did you know that as of today, Allen Robinson is still in his 20s? Did you Thanks know everybody for tuning in to the All-22. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, 2018 onward, 77.7 season grade, 2019, 80.8, 15th in the NFL, 2020, 88.3 season grade, fifth among all wide receivers in the NFL, 2021, he had rookie Justin Fields, Matt Nagy was just horrendous, the whole operation was a disaster, he was disinterested, he was nicked up, that explains that drop in performance, then in 2022, the whole Ram season went down the toilet when Allen Robin, uh, sorry, Allen Robinson, Matt Stafford got hurt, and then their entire offensive line just basically like just exploded, uh, in the in a bad sense, not in in a good like breakout sense. So he wasn't targeted very often at first. He was kind of assimilating himself into that offense, and then everything just went down the tubes in Los Angeles. So we know the age old story about Allen Robinson. 
that even with 10 years coming up now in the NFL, he has never played with even a half decent quarterback dating back to high school outside of like three games with Matthew Stafford before he got hurt. But now he gets to play in an offense with Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, and Pat Fryermuth as other pass catching weapons. Whereas he was always the number one target by far at any of his previous stops uh, with, with Jacksonville and Los Angeles. So now he can take advantage of theoretically lesser matchups. And even if you think Kenny Pickett is firmly mediocre, that's a step up, a giant step up from what he's had to deal with at quarterback for pretty much his entire life, dating back to like high school and puberty. So does he have one last hurrah for him like in his career? I'm never going to bet against Allen Robinson, man. It's just, he's my guy. So he won't get the volume that allows him to have like monster grades that take over games and win you all 22 weeks. But perhaps he can grade well enough based off of the matchup that he'll be seeing uh, week in and week out that he really hasn't had the benefit of seeing before because he was always the top target in otherwise not great offenses um, earlier on in his career. That maybe that sort of efficiency, uh, on a down-to-down basis can boost his grade back closer to what we saw during the prime of his career. Well, again, he's still in his 20s today. So both of our Steelers takes were absolutely terrible. So please, just everybody <laughs> out there, don't don't even listen to them. Uh, but thank you for tuning in anyway. Uh, it's been it's been a fun episode, but we do need to wrap it up. If you haven't yet, please give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and go to all22.com, all-22.com, and use promo code Second Season for $20 off your All-22 membership. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I'm a ghost.